creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle! And the Leafs are moved again! Hello, welcome to the Nesson Bruins podcast. I'm Nesson.com's Logan Mullen, joined as always and once again by Nesson.com's Lauren Campbell and Mike Cole. Guys, what's going on? Hello. Hello. Uh, sorry, that, that sounded like an incomplete th- thought, Mike. We're not going to start it over because we've tried this about 25 times already. And if we keep doing it, then it's probably going to get progressively worse. So let's just hop into it. Um, big week for the Bruins. They didn't sustain their first loss since uh, the turn of the new year. They lost to the Minnesota Wild, but otherwise they've been quite good. Uh, they put a a thorough beatdown on the Washington Capitals on Monday, seven to three. And that comes after uh, a fairly convincing win over the Tampa Bay lightning on Saturday. So all things considered a pretty good stretch for the Bruins, uh, but perhaps most noteworthy is what long has felt imminent. I guess, it, I guess it's not imminent if, if, it, if it's felt like that for a while, but uh, Tuga Rask is definitely coming back. I think we can say that uh, with a fair amount of conviction. Uh, it's 140 on Tuesday when we record this. All we know right now is that he was released from his PTO in Providence, uh, but everything is pointing towards him signing an NHL contract soon. And I think if we had to all venture a guess, he would probably be in an NHL game by the time we record again next week. Um, Bruins play Montreal on Wednesday and then they have Nashville on Saturday. So everything's shaping up towards Tukaras coming back. The Bruins haven't committed to sending down Jeremy Swayman, but it sure looks like that's the best path. So I guess the kind of jumping off point here is, you know, where do you stand on the return of Tukaras and how would you kind of approach the personnel movement, shuffling, what have you, that's going to come with it. So let's start with uh, Lauren. Yeah, I think that um, it's inevitable that Rask will return. My stance certainly hasn't changed. I think if you can bring him in, you do it. I'm not really too concerned either about him not getting any kind of AHL game action. He's been in the league long enough. He's been around. If he's healthy, I'm confident he'll be just fine. And I do think, you know, it's unfortunate for Jeremy Swayman, but it just makes the most sense that he's waivers exempt. He can go to Providence. Or maybe you can throw him on the taxi squad. Maybe you can throw Rask on the taxi squad. But I think if you just look at it in big picture, Jeremy Swayman, unfortunately, is the odd man out here. Um, It just makes the most sense. There's not really any danger in sending him to Providence. Um, He'll get some action there. It's not like he's just going to be sitting on the bench. So I think it's just just unfortunate for him because he's playing so well. Yeah. I'm torn on this. I, I, I think I would have liked to see game action. Um, and I think, I guess, one of the silver linings, or not silver linings, but one of the benefits of their recent improvement, we'll call it. Not, I wouldn't want to call it a hot streak just yet, but the one of the, the bright sides of the recent improvement is that they've kind of found some even ground and kind of regained their legs and, and all of that. Uh, that has kind of allowed them to put Rask out there without knowing for sure what he's going to look like. Um, I think that'd be a lot more daunting and the optics would be a lot more uh, unsettling if they were throwing Rask out there without any game action and they had lost three or four coming out of the break or something like that. So I think they've, they've earned themselves a little bit of wiggle room in that regard. 
uh, where I guess it's okay to kind of to see on the fly. I certainly uh, am more skeptical of his his health and and his rust or whatever the you know however you want to deter- or describe it. There, I thought you know akin to a minor league rehab stint in, in baseball. I think that would have done Rask uh, real good and, and kind of allowed them to further set out their plans and, and things like that. But that being said, I'm sure that they've got a pretty good idea of how they're going to handle this as well. Um, I, I do think it's unfortunate for Jeremy Swayman, and this has kind of been a drum I've been banging um, really the entire season and going back to, to the summer even. Um you know, it's it, it feels like a weird way to kind of lose your job. Uh, I guess when you're you're bringing back a Vesna Trophy uh, goaltender, that's kind of the way things go in professional sports. Um, and I guess I would, you know, just looking at the numbers, I would push back a little bit on what Lauren said, and maybe, you know, this is a a silver lining for for Swayman in the long run. Where he's you know last what five starts, he's allowed at least three goals in, in three of them. So. Maybe it comes at a good time for him. Maybe that's a way you can kind of spin it to him and, you know, kind of fix some things down in Providence, assuming they ever play again. So, you know, not a whole lot has changed for me, in my opinion, on this Tuka Rask thing. Like I said, I would, I'd like to see him get a little bit more uh, rehab work, but yeah, if they, they've seen him up close and personal for a long time now. So if they feel comfortable with him out there, I'm sure there's not a whole lot of reason to, to feel upset about it. Rask insists that his health is fine. So if, if it truly is, then the biggest thing to look out for would probably be his puck tracking. Like what happens if he starts kind of losing pucks and things like that. And I think that's where the assignment to Providence probably was going to pay off the most. I mean, he was cleared medically from a health standpoint to play in games. Uh, You know, he wouldn't have played in Providence if they weren't very sure, especially with the procedure and rehab he just underwent that he would be capable of, playing and recovering well and all that good stuff so I think it does just kind of come down to on ice stuff um I think the good thing in all this about the Bruins playing so well lately is it definitely tones down the I don't know if narrative's the right word but the thought that he has to be something of a savior for them like the Bruins feel like a much more complete team now where instead of Tuka Rask super elevating them you know if they play at a fairly consistent pace now similar to what they've been doing lately or a slightly watered down version of that even uh then Tugarask is more so gravy than a lifesaver um and I think that's ultimately what it comes down to in in terms of the Swayman thing I mean he's still young I think people look at some of these younger goalies that come into the NHL so quickly and carve out a full-time role. Uh, very rarely does that go well for a long period of time. Um, guys can burst onto the scene very quickly, but I think if it were two years ago and you said, yeah, people are going to gripe about Jeremy Swayman one day getting sent down during his first full season, then you'd probably take that. Uh, I'm not a believer in the narrative that's going to stun his growth or his rehab or anything like that. Um, And I think between the two takes you guys had, I think it falls somewhere in the middle where I think Jeremy Swayman, it has a very good ability to kind of tune things out and dial in, but I would have to guess just on a human level, he has to be aware of what could be coming down the pike for him in terms of, I haven't really done anything wrong, but I'm going to get sent down from a pure business standpoint. Um, and, And maybe that plays even the slightest of a role in the slight downtick of production. I think it helps that 
Linus Olmark, by and large, has been pretty good uh, coming out of the break and even at times leading up to it. Uh, he had some, you know, not so great moments against the Capitals, but he was otherwise fairly good. Um, so I think that this is just kind of the product of, you know, where the Bruins are at right now. It's not a referendum on Swayman or anything like that. It's not going to, you know, stunt his growth. He's going to be fine. Um, you know, he just never made a case to force the Bruins into a spot where they would tell Tuga Rass to go and kick rocks. And I think that's what it comes down to is that, you know, and that's no fault of Swayman's, but they, he just didn't put himself in a position where the Bruins felt 100% comfortable going with chess, the, the Swayman Olmark tandem. And I think that was an impossible position for Swayman too. Like, how are you going to be able to reach that anyways? I think too, this comes back to what we've been saying that the goaltending has just been fine. It's been good, not great. Um, neither Allmark nor Swayman have really stolen a game. And that's kind of maybe what makes his decision not so much easier, but makes it, it's like, okay, Rask will come back, Rask will steal you these games. Um, and it's just, you know, like you said, it's just, they haven't, they haven't really stuck out and they haven't been bad. They just haven't really stuck out. Yeah, they weren't going to tell him to kick rocks either because no. they had a chance to do that last year in the playoffs and they, they ran him out there in a, in a must win game when he clearly wasn't a hundred percent. So I think this is a slight continuation of that. And the fact that Swayman, you know, I, I wonder what Swayman would have had to do to even make them consider having to make the more uncomfortable move, whether it's telling Rask, you know, or doing something with Allmark. It probably would have had to have been otherworldly considering Swayman couldn't even get in the, you know, crack the lineup. I understand to an extent why you don't want to start a rookie in, in the situation that they did last playoffs, but the fact that they were willing to, to send Rask out there, given his compromise situation, tells you how they feel about Rask. And I don't think that was going to change, uh, you know, now here in January, so. Well, and I think at a certain level, you kind of have to bring Rask back in order to take stock of where things are at. Uh, you know, nothing for me is certain until we get to this offseason. And I think that's the point when you start to see where the Bruins really think they can go with Rask in terms of his future, what it means for Swayman, what it means for Olmark. I think right now they're just utilizing the roster flexibility that they have. And I also think that because he is waivers exempt, we haven't seen the last of Jeremy Swayman this year. Their schedule is going to be an absolute grind the rest of the way. And I don't think the Bruins would carry three goalies on the active roster consistently, but I certainly see situations where they say, all right, we've got three games in four days. Why don't we just bring Swayman up for one of them? And you kind of go from there. And then you see how that works for a while. And you get to the postseason, you go with your two best. That's why it was Swayman and Rask last year, not uh, Rask and Halak. So uh, the best thing Swayman could do at this point is not go down to Providence and gripe or mope or anything, which nothing about him suggests that he would do something like that. I think he's going to go down. He's going to play fine. He'll probably be a world beater in Providence because the pucks are going to look a lot slower compared to unless he's playing Martin Furk, I guess, but um, you know, he'll be fine. So ultimately if Tuka Rask, a goalie who is still playing at a largely Vezina caliber over the last few years is offering to come back on short money, you'd be stupid not to do it. And I think you, you can pick it apart as much as you want, but that's ultimately what it comes down to um, pivoting a little bit. So over the last few games, uh, you know, the, the lines have been talked about, uh, you know, Eric Holland now all of a sudden is this 
know, stellar second line center. But I think the big story in all this is David Posternock is starting to score a lot more. Uh, that is obviously a good development. The Bruins have gotten pretty much everyone going. Uh, but one of the last guys hanging around was David Posternock, who finally broke a goalless drought that dated back to the end of November. Uh, I don't think it's really worth anybody's time to say how important is it for them to get them going, but how much did this, does this kind of open things up for the Bruins now? Because I think when you look at David Posternock playing at the goal scoring ability or level that he's capable of, this Bruins team looks a whole lot different now than when he was a little bit quieter. Yeah. I mean, he's getting hot at the right time. And, you know, he said before the, or during the break that he was hopeful that time off was kind of going to kind of rejuvenate him kind of looks like it has. And I don't know if it's motivation getting quote unquote demoted to the second line or if just a fresh set of line mates kind of did it for him, but it's, I mean, if the Bruins are going to keep playing the way they did on top of Poshnok scoring at a really, really good pace, that's going to be good news for the Bruins, especially down the stretch, and especially if they lose Nick Foligno long-term. Yeah, I was encouraged by what I saw from Poshnok in the Minnesota game, and that was that might be a weird statement uh, on the surface because I think he had a couple of opportunities that uh, true to form for most of the season, he kind of either whiffed on or didn't take full advantage of. But I did on more than one occasion. I saw there was at least one time where it was a, a pretty impressive back check from you know the offensive zone all the way back into to his own zone. I think he blocked a shot or something else in that game. Uh, it might and then won a puck battle along the board. He did. A, there was like two or three small, relatively small type of things like that that I saw him doing. And I was like, well, that's encouraging that he hasn't completely given up. And maybe to, to Lauren's point, he's, he's motivated by what you could call a demotion. But um, I think, you know, to kind of further the point and maybe take it to the next level, the idea of, you know, a, a, you know, a, an awoken David Posternock on that second line. And you saw, you know, recently what he can do with Taylor Hall when those guys start to find a little bit of, chemistry together or start to you know put themselves in, in position where they can both succeed that lengthens the lineup and that kind of just speaks to one of the bigger themes about this post Christmas break is is the line changes and things like that uh and, and you know for in order for that to, to kind of work you need to have production on both the first and the second line and you know what we've seen especially most recently is it's encouraging and that's kind of the idea right and that's kind of where they they want this to go and that's how they're going to kind of climb back into it and uh and and have some scoring balance so i think there's a lot of positive developments on that front i think for you know for me to be fully convinced that he's quote-unquote back he's got to do it for a little bit longer but we've seen it time and time again in the past when he gets hot he gets red hot so the the arrow is definitely pointing up on posture right now i think that certainly is an encouraging sign for the bruins considering you know he's one of their two or three best players so obviously a developing take i've been having is you know who I think is making all of this all these line changes go and work out is probably Craig Smith uh, because he's the one he's looked very good on the first line like he's a very natural fit even though he's a different kind of player than David Pasternak his his motor alone makes him a very good fit on that first line his willingness to shoot um, and I think the fact that the Bruins haven't had to worry about who's going to play with Bergeron and Marshawn has opened them up to being able to you know, let these other lines breathe a little bit longer. I mean, 
you know, if David Posternock was playing well, but Craig Smith wasn't, then you'd probably see things get shuffled a little bit. And so I think that has definitely freed things up a little bit. Um, the Bruins just need balance. I think that's what we've kind of learned over the years is that they're a team that operates much better when they've got depth up and down the lineup. And I think what we're starting to find is they have enough pieces to make a pretty good fourth line, uh, which has always been important for them. The first line is going to be fine. It seems like they found something with the second line. And so now there's a little bit of a revolving door on the third line, mostly by virtue of injuries. Um, but that seems to be kind of the, uh, thing that they need to focus on now and at this point that's probably a good problem to have because you're at least getting uh, consistent scoring up and down the lineup which is something it feels like they haven't had in a very long time uh, we've kind of danced around the Nick Felino thing a little bit so again today's Tuesday he's getting imaging done he's getting an MRI done uh, he suffered a really nasty looking injury uh, basically where his knee got caught underneath him as he got pushed down. You know, we're not doctors, so let's not speculate, but it, it does not look promising. I think is about as far as we can all willingly take that. Um, but I think an opinion I had floated, I forget if it was on here, just talking to you guys in conversation, but I thought with the emergence of Oscar Steen, it kind of pushed Jake DeBrusque out of the lineup uh, where the Bruins, if they were actually intent on trading him, could probably sit Jake DeBrusque for the foreseeable future in a way that kind of goes up in smoke because of the Felino thing. Um, but I guess my question is, you know, how do you kind of approach things now if Felino is out for a while? Cause they were giving him a lot of leash for as much trouble as he was having offensively. They were continuing to trot him out there in top nine roles, basically. I feel like in a way Jake DeBrus cannot catch a break and maybe going into COVID protocol not necessarily was a good thing for him, but it kept him off the ice, obviously kept him from getting injured. And maybe now the Bruins don't exactly rush him back. It sounds like he has symptoms anyway, and it's not going to be testing out of protocol, but with, like you said, the emergence of Steen, Anton Bleed is playing well. Um, the bottom six just really kind of seems to be clicking. Um, and I mean, I'm, we won't know much more about the, Bellino injury until probably Wednesday would be my guess but if it's as bad as it looks I feel like Jake DeBrusque will somehow have to be in the lineup um I mean it, we say this a lot that they're one injury away from something catastrophic happening and it's just I, I mean, at one some point I feel bad for for Jake DeBrusque because he requested a trade and it's everything has happened that he cannot get out of Boston yeah, this is. I mean, the I the DeBrusque it, it like the Felino story almost turns into a DeBrusque story where it's just I I don't know maybe it's I guess you're glad you didn't rush into that trade. Um, and yeah, it is. It's unfortunate for DeBrusque, but he's got the contract that says Boston Bruins on it right now. So, um, they you know they've they, they, it you know he's a businessman. They're a business like this just kind of happens. It's, it's, un, it's just a weird, unfortunate situation. We're all involved, including Felino. Um, is there any update on Trent Frederick? Isn't he dinged up too? Yeah. So he go ahead, Lauren. I say that I don't, I didn't see any update, um, but there was no availability today. So, so that yeah, complicates matters further too. Potentially. 
and they don't have no sack either right now, which he's in COVID right. protocol. So he should come out at some point, but they are running relatively shorthanded. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure what the take is other than it's just unfortunate for everyone involved. Um, you know, the fact uh, this is not uh, maybe a sentence I, I thought I'd be uttering at the uh, start of the season, but where would they be without Steen? And where would they be without Oscar Steen? Like that's just, you know, anybody, like anybody who played, halfway decent hockey would help save them. And that's kind of what Steen's doing right now, because you start just at a certain point, it becomes a math game. And if you just don't have the numbers, um, you're moving further and further down the depth chart. I mean, nothing groundbreaking there. It's just unfortunate timing on a lot of this different stuff. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard to, to really set out a path forward or whatever, because there are so many uncertainties. You have the, the brusque trade thing looming, but there's also, you know, as DeBrusque himself has just showed, like there's the specter of COVID too. So it's just, it's a tough spot for, for everybody involved. To the point on Steen, I think the biggest thing about him is they don't have to worry about him. Like, and that's been the biggest thing with Steen is he's found a way to be impactful on every shift. And there are times where maybe not as far as saying actively hurt, but there were times where Jake DeBrusque and his disengagement basically were uh, adversely impacting the Bruins. And that's one thing that you just don't have to worry about with Oscar Steen. Um, and so I think that definitely counts for something right now. Um, so this kind of opens the door in a way to a conversation about, you know, what do you do with DeBrusque? They, they've had, they're proving that they have a lot of bottom six depth. Like when you think about when everybody's healthy, um, and if you say Felino, Coyle, and Steen is your third line, then you're talking about Lazar, Nosek, Kuhlman, Bleed, and Frederick all vying for fourth line roles. So you you have depth covered in that spot. So what I'm starting to kind of get at is, all right, well, what should your intent be if you are going to trade Jake DeBrusque? Is this a team now, and I think time will tell, but is this a team now where you say, okay, well, maybe – we have a decent trade piece in Jake DeBrusque who actively wants to leave. Is there a way we can spin this into a bigger package so we could get a, a hurdle or a Giroux or someone like that, uh, or a Chikrin, uh, where, you know, it, it's worth their while to invest more than maybe we thought they probably should have back in November. And I think it's to their benefit that, uh, the trade deadlines in March, by the time we get two months down the road, we'll have a much better sense of where the Bruins are at, but, I guess my question is if let's retake stock, I guess, of the, of the DeBrusque situation and say, is this a one for one thing that you're looking at now? Is it something you do more urgently? Do you wait this out towards March? Do you try and spin it into something bigger? Where do you kind of stand on all that? Me? Oh, I'll go. Um, I, I think you have to wait it out. I don't know. Like, I don't know how there's any other play here just because of, all the moving pieces uh, that we kind of just mentioned. I I understand your point, Logan, about bottom six depth, but like you look at a guy like Steen who is not a big human being. And that's just that there's looking at his quads. Yeah, I know. Like, but that's, you know, I, that's just always a consideration when you have a quote unquote smaller player is that there are, there's the injury risk and, uh, you know, I, to, you know, when you talk about like a, a bigger package and a bigger deal, I just don't, I, I don't see that. Cause I just, I like, I mean, DeBrusque is one piece of that, 
that trade package, but I like what, you know, we don't have to sit here and get into the machinations of a, of a make-believe trade. I just, I have a hard time finding something like that coming together in the middle of the season when there are so many uncertainties, not just with your team, but around the league. Um, it's, it's very easy for that to fall apart. Not to mention, you know, if you want to talk about the Bruins farm system and, and the prospects that they have coming through, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess it depends on the deal. I just, I don't see them making it a huge deal with, Jake DeBrusque being a big part of that other than, you know, player in player out is part of a bigger, bigger thing. So uh, I don't know. I think it's just status quo for now. Um, you just have to hope that DeBrusque is understanding about that. I'm not really sure what his play would be if he gets even more frustrated by the situation, uh, you know, by, uh, by all measures. And according to everyone who knows anything about the situation, he's been a, 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 a real pro about it. And yeah, I, can't imagine that would change anytime soon either so it's unfortunate for him but you kind of just have to take advantage of the fact that he's being a good soldier for now yeah originally I thought maybe he would be part of a bigger package but then I got into well what does that bigger package entail and to get back a, a, a hurdle or someone of that caliber um I think that the Bruins are kind of stuck and I but I also don't think they're in any rush to trade him I think if they were that would have happened by now they probably would have granted his request over the summer or before the season started. So I think that they're just going to, like Mike said, just keep it status quo. They're going to keep doing what they're doing, probably healthy scratch them where they can um, and continue to look for suitors. But I, at this point, we're what, two months away from March. It's, you might as well just wait at this point and hopefully his value goes up a little bit more when he does play and you can maybe package him um, and get somebody I don't want to say get somebody worth it. Obviously that's, that's the goal in a trade, but you'll get somebody who, who wants to be here and can contribute the way that we were hopeful Jake DeBrus could. Yeah. I think they're in something of a holding pattern right now, both in terms of they have so many guys going in and out of the lineup with health problems and the fact that they need at least what a month to six weeks more of this and having to grasp back to know where they really stand. And I think that would probably determine, uh, how much you swing for the fences there. I guess we'll wrap up with this. The one credible rumor of the Bruins actually being linked to somebody was Lawson Kraus. Uh, that one came from Jeff Merrick over the weekend. Uh, coincidentally, also a first round pick in the 2015 draft. Um, he was, uh, I think, 11th overall in that draft. It's kind of funny to think about because he's also historically underachieved and there's a good chance knowing that the Bruins have been linked to him for a while, as the reports have suggested, the Bruins probably would have taken Kraus if he had been there in 2015. That was six years, seven years ago at this point. So it's not even worth uh, relitigating, but you can tell that it kind of fits into the vision that the Bruins have had of sort of the, the, bruising winger who can still score they've wanted Blake Coleman about 25 times when he's been available and I think Lawson Krause at this point is sort of a store brand <laughs> version of Blake Coleman so um, you know I guess what's the initial take on uh, going after a guy who you know has a lot of Nick Ritchie in him but maybe a little bit more offensive offside oh I, why why are we doing Coyotes talk all the time I this is not well. The Chikrin thing was just being kicked around the crowd. Well, they have actually, so many good players. Why do they suck so often? I always end up in that spot with every sport where it's like we're just going to pillage this team, uh, but that team is awful. So, I mean, the only three guys that have really been linked to rumors in Arizona 
are Kessel, Chikrin, and um, Lawson Krause. So we, it is a lot of Coyotes talk, but they're the team that is basically out there saying, yeah, we'll listen on pretty much everybody. I, I guess my problem isn't necessarily with the talking about the Coyotes. It's just the fact that we're talking about players on a team that's just objectively bad and they continue to, you know, it's like, well, yeah, bad players are on bad teams. I, Mike, is, if I can interject real quick, we indeed have breaking news. Well, I was trying to, to nest that one. <laughs> oh, well, go ahead. I'll call you then. Yeah. Well, I'm no, I'm looking for a, uh, I'm trying to confirm, but uh, go ahead, Logan. So Puckpedia, which is generally very good with this stuff, uh, says that the Bruins are signing Rass to a one-year deal uh, with a $1 million all-base contract. Uh, so he'll actually earn 545000 The cap hit is obviously minimal. Tuka Rask had said for months that he was not going to, you know, drive a hard bargain with the Bruins. They wanted to be in Boston. He would play for cheap. This is, you know, as far as hockey contracts go, this is cheap. It's 250 K more than the, the veteran minimum. Uh, so I guess initial reactions to this, it sure seems like everything we kind of expected. Yeah. I think um, no real surprises there. I think that, I mean, he's, he's 34 years old. You're not going to sign him to some multi-year deal, but good for him. Good for the Bruins. I think that's a smart deal and I'm excited to see him back. So forget you know forget everything else we said at the beginning of the show so more uh massive breaking news from mark diver who says boston is returning Iroho vakaninen and john moore to providence so um it's just those, it those might just be paper transactions I was, yeah i uh no as, as far as ras goes i that is an absolute bargain of a steal of a bargain um that's less money than even i expected i you know obviously he's going to be prorated uh a million bucks prorate is nothing for a guy with his potential so um he stuck to his word uh, stuck to his word huh i mean that's it's a pretty you know there's as far as we can tell there's no i mean i know we talked about it, like last week this is not necessarily not usually a thing there's no formal option or formal second year consideration nothing like that so this is strictly what you know the the lowest uh lowest rung of the ladder um which i think is, is best for the bruins to be honest with you yeah, I think this is best for both sides, right? You give Tugaras the opportunity to play out the season, see where he's at. Uh, and then if you want to go bigger money or longer term, uh, you revisit it in the summer. So I think this is the smartest play for both sides. It always kind of shaped up to being this way. So I think that, you know, again, the, to sort of go back on our original point, the Bruins would be stupid not to do this. Um, so they're obviously doing a, something that 31 other NHL teams also would do. Um so I think with that, unless you guys really want to revisit the Coyotes talk, then we could probably just punt on it right there. It's the greatest thing that Tukarask has ever done for me is <laughs> save you from Kraus and Kraus talk. Yeah, no, I, Kraus is big. I like that. So it, it, I I see why they like him. Uh, yeah, and I, he's an RFA. That's a big thing too. Sure, so. maybe at a certain point change up your type, but that's a discussion for another day, probably. <laughs> That's that's a fair point. All right, so we'll call it there. Uh, that's Lauren and Mike. I'm Logan. This has been the Ness and Bruins podcast. Uh, like, subscribe, rate, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.